You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts odds maker Nick Alikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 21 event, which takes place in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our event, if you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 21 features a 13 fight card in total and will be aired exclusively on ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a welterweight contest featuring Jason Witt, who is 18-6, and six, and Matthew Semmelsberger, who is 7-2. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick notes before we get rolling here. First off, the opening betting odds that I will be quoting are market opening prices, and they are available to find at MMAOddsBreaker.com. Check out our UFC Vegas 21 opening betting odds article, and that's done by Adam Martin. So make sure you check out all the market openers in that article. And, of course, the updated betting odds are courtesy of Circa Sports here in Las Vegas or in Colorado, soon to be Iowa as well. So always expanding. If you have an opportunity to bet at Circa Sports, got to do it. It's the best place you can bet on MMA and sports in general. One of the best sports books in the world by far right now. So check out Circus Sports. You can download the app and check out the odds anywhere in the world. Now getting right into the fights. We had Witt opening minus 127, Selmosberger plus 106. And looking over at Circus Sports, the updated betting odds as we speak right now, we have Selmosberger minus 120, even money on Witt. So the line initially flipped from the market price and now it's going back towards Witt a little bit. So there is two-way action on this fight. I think it's interesting for sure because obviously both these guys are kind of trying to make some waves at 170 pounds, kind of moving up that ladder or whatnot. Witt has had kind of a roller coaster ride so far in his brief UFC career, um, splitting going one and one, getting knocked out, and then winning by submission. But that's his game, meaning that I think Witt's a very solid fighter overall, but the best part of his game is getting the fight to the floor, controlling his opponents and looking for that finish and submission on the ground. Selmelsberger, on the other hand, I think the best part of his game is keeping it on the feet and out striking and doing damage to his opponents. He's got decent takedown defense and he's going to look to sprawl brawl here and try to knock Witt out. So these two definitely have conflicting styles and it's going to see, it's going to be interesting to see who can implement their style, obviously, because that's who's going to win the fight. I think it's going to be Semmelsberger keeping this fight upright or doing enough to survive on the ground and then get where he needs to be on the feet and probably deliver more damage along the way um, and possibly knock it wit out. So I do like Semmelsberger in this spot. I understand people that came in and gobbled up that plus money and flipped them to a favorite. Now I can understand, though, the respect factor on the other side of it because Witt does have a path of victory here as well. But I still think Semmelsberger is the right side, so I'm going to pick him to win. And at the betting price, I mean, you got to just look and see where the line is kind of going. Right now, it seems like it is going more towards Witt. This could flip to a, exactly a pick em type of fight before the fight goes off, or we could see it climb back up. So it's kind of a spot where you got to pick your moment and bet this fight properly, I think, more than anything else. But my official pick will be Semmelsberger. And I'm going to come in the same way. Uh, Samuelsberger is a solid, aggressive, volume-based striker. I mean, he looked really good in that UFC debut against Carlton Minus. He had a nice three-fight win streak to before that to earn his trip to the Octagon. 
Um, meanwhile, with Wit, you know, when he debuted in the UFC while he was on a nice little win streak, um, he got steamrolled by Takashi Sato. Um, this last time out, he was taken on uh, Cole Williams, who missed weight and was able to submit him. But for me, this fight entirely boils down to whether Semmelsberger can keep it upright because Wit just is not that dangerous on the feet. He has some defensive issues and, you know, he has some chin issues. He's been knocked out, I think, about four times. So if Wit cannot get this to the ground, I think it's only a matter of time before Semmelsberger takes him out. Um, Semmelsberger doesn't quite have that one-punch stopping power that Sato possesses, but uh, Semmelsberger can put strikes together in volume, and I think that that's going to cause some serious problems for Wit. Um, I do not expect Wit to last long if he is forced to stand and trade with Semmelsberger. So um, while he does have the ability to get this to the floor and get that submission game going, I think the most likely outcome here is Semmelsberger keeping it upright out striking wit and eventually racking up uh, a TKO either late in the first round or maybe early in the second. So Semmelsberger is my pick. Now dropping down to the strawweight division, we have Jin Yu Fry, who is nine and six, taking on Gloria DePaula, who is five and two. Now Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? DePaula opened minus 133, the comeback on Fry at plus 111. Right now, looking over Circus Sports, we have DePaula minus 180, the comeback on Fry plus 155. DePaula, the very popular betting favorite for most people out there. I understand. I mean, there's a lot of promise to her game for sure. I think she's an exciting prospect. She's getting better. She had a, a really solid debut, obviously, in the Contender Series and then making her official UFC debut here. Fry on the other side of it, though, has been battle-tested. She's a veteran. We've seen a lot of her great performances in Invicta as well. So this is going to be a very competitive fight, I think probably closer than most people anticipate, because I think Fry is getting severely underestimated in her stand-up game. She's got a little bit of power. Um, she has good technical striking. She does have some grappling. I understand that, you know, defensively at times, she can get beat on the ground a little bit, and you could push a high pace and be effective even on the feet with her, but I think she's in there, and she's a lot more prepared and capable of, of doing well in this fight than I think most anticipate. The other side of it, though, I think DePaula, obviously she's she's always improving. Now she's going to have that confidence and swag going her way. She's going to have a little bit of length. I think she is a very solid striker in this spot. I wouldn't be surprised if she actually goes for some top position here and tries to implement some ground. Um, and I think it's going to be fairly competitive, but I think DePaula will be the more effective striker, I think, out of the three rounds. And she'll probably be able to control and dictate the pace and the tempo of this fight to just slightly outpoint Fry to a decision win here. So I do think DePaula wins on the scorecards in a very competitive, maybe even a split decision type of fight. Um, and this is a good test and a good matchup for her to kind of prove to see where she's at right now. If she gets, she gets a win over Fry, then obviously she's well on her way at 115 pounds. But if she doesn't get kind of through this gate, then we'll see. I mean, we'll see. She might end up only having a few fights in the UFC and getting cut from the roster. So very important fight, I think, for both ladies. I think Fry obviously wants to get a W here as well and, and prove that she can hang and, and kind of maintain her spot in the UFC. But I think DePaula is probably the right side here. Yeah, I mean, Fry, she's talented, but she's talented for Adam weight, which is one weight class below what the UFC currently allows. So she's being forced to fight outside of her weight weight class to compete in the UFC. And there's, you know, a couple fighters that are in that kind of situation. So she got bullied in her UFC debut. 
um, against Kay Hansen. And then most recently, you know, she dropped a decision to uh, Luke Boonmi on the feet. So uh, I just feel like she's just not quite good enough as an undersized strawweight to pick up wins against people that are relatively quality strawweights. So uh, DePaula, while she is making her UFC debut, uh, she looked great. Uh, I think she had been uh, inactive for about 14 months and then goes on to contender series and looked amazing against uh, Pauline Macias, uh, an undefeated judo expert. I mean, this is a girl that uh, I think had some hype behind her and uh, DePaula looked sensational. So uh, overall, I think DePaula is a... Talented striker with a little bit of pop. Um, she's taller than Fry. She's younger. She's rangier. She has, you know, a little bit more behind her punches. And uh, she throws with a, a higher volume. So, you know, this is a girl that I think has uh, some staying power potentially in the division. She's also uh, a training partner and uh, with uh, Myra Bueno Silva. So, you know, she's working with a UFC caliber flyweight on the regular. So I expect that uh, Fry is probably going to uh, try to stand and trade with her. And I think DePaula is just going to have too much volume and too much behind her strikes. And even though Fry does have some technique, she just isn't quite active enough to, to win over the judges. So uh, I think it stays standing, and DePaula gets the better of her. And even if it does go to the ground, DePaula's getting better there too. So I think uh, that she can hold her own at least if it temporarily does go to the ground. But I think it, for the most part, this stays standing, and DePaula wins a decision. So DePaula's going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the women's flyweight division, we have Courtney Casey, who is nine and eight, taking on JJ Aldrich, who is eight and four. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Aldrich open minus 165, the comeback on Casey at plus 145. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Aldrich minus 150, the comeback on Casey at plus 130. So more action coming in Casey's way early on. It dropped even more, and then it kind of came back up a little bit to where it's at now. So there is two-way action in this fight as well. I mean, I understand Aldrich doesn't get a lot of love out there from, I think, the betters, typically speaking, or the MMA fans. I think she's underrated. She's been flying under that radar for quite some time, and she's had some very tough opponents in front of her. She's performed better than anticipated in most spots as well. And Casey on the other side of it, I mean, she's better than a 500 record. I mean, she's nine and eight, I believe right now, officially in her career. But I mean, obviously she's got the skill she's faced. I mean, the best of the best throughout her career as well, especially at 115 pounds. We know that, but she is moving up to 125 pounds now for a couple fights. And I mean, she doesn't seem like she's going to be undersized. In fact, she looks like she's going to be a little bit taller and, you know, and she's going to be okay here. But I still think that Aldridge is going to be, the better striker here overall. I think Casey definitely brings it. I mean, she's going to come in and put the pressure on and, and try to definitely land as much as possible along the way. And, and with a high output, she's going to try to take this fight to the ground. I think Aldrich is going to be able to sprawl brawl, keep this fight upright and land the more effective uh, blows along the way. I think she's going to be a little bit cleaner with her striking as well and be more effective. So I think this is going to be a fairly competitive fight for sure. I mean, both these ladies are tough and durable. I think it probably hits the scorecards, but I think it's going to be Aldrich that is the one that's getting the better of the exchanges, especially as this fight goes in round two, round three. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Casey steals round one. I think she slows down a little bit more than Aldrich does. Uh, they both slow down somewhat, but I think Aldrich is going to be the one kind of firing at a higher pace and uh, I think more effective 
as we get in round two and round three, and she's going to do enough to kind of sway the judges her way. So my pick is Aldridge. I think it's kind of a favorite or pass situation, but it should be pretty competitive, so don't go crazy on this one. And I'm going to go with Aldridge as well. Uh, the main thing for me that I like is Aldridge is a solid technical striker with good volume. Now, Casey does have some good pop behind her punches, and even though she's not quite at that same technique level as Aldrich, um, she has made up for it and been competitive in fights that stayed standing against some good technical strikers in the past, both at 115 and 125. So I expect this fight to be competitive, um, and Casey does have the better ground game, but as Nick mentioned, she doesn't quite have that wrestling to get it there. Most of the time when Casey has success on the ground, somebody took her down and then Casey latches on an armbar or something. So I do not expect Aldrich to initiate grappling at all. If anything, the only the closest thing to grappling is maybe there's some clinch exchanges and they're trading knees and elbows on the inside. But um, for the most part, I think this fight's going to take place in the pocket they're going to be slugging it out with boxing. I expect uh, neither girl really has a ton of knockout power, and they can both go pretty well for 15 minutes. So I think this is going to be an entertaining slugfest with Aldrich getting just enough of the better of it to, to win a decision. Um, maybe even a split decision, but Aldrich should be the better striker here, even if Casey does hit a little bit harder. And I think Aldrich does throw with a little bit more volume to... Uh, eke this one out. So Eldridge is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the lightweight division, we have Nasrat Hekparis, who is 12-3, taking on Rafa Garcia, who is 12-0. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Hakparis, minus 385, the comeback in Garcia, plus 265. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, minus 400, for Hakparis, the comeback on Garcia at plus 325. Market-wide, the line's climbing a little bit. Hakparis is getting the respect and the love against a very good undefeated fighter in Garcia making his UFC debut. For those of you guys that are unfamiliar with Garcia, he is the Combate America's lightweight champion. This guy is a very, very good fighter. fighter. Undefeated, obviously. I'm glad he's coming over to the UFC. He's going to win a lot of fights in the UFC as well. Just unfortunately for him, he's taking this fight on short notice and he's up against a very high level lightweight. I mean, this guy outside of that loss to Dober, I mean, I think he's at kind of the top of the food chain right now in this weight class, meaning that, I mean, his striking is so effective. His wrestling defense has gotten to the point where it's definitely hard to control him and take him down and keep him down. So Hukparis is kind of closing the holes in his game that we've seen in the past um, that he's had to improve on. And he is just a dynamic, explosive, strong striker that is very effective at what he does. And I think he's going to be able to outstrike Garcia along the way here. So Garcia's very game. He has that wrestling background. He's able to get take takedowns more times than not. He has decent striking. He's got some power on the feet that you have to respect as well. He's probably going to have the speed advantage here. The problem with me is that as the fight progresses at times, we do see Garcia start to slow down a little bit, and he cannot afford to do that, especially coming in on short notice against a guy like Akparis, or this could be a quick night for him, meaning that Akparis could possibly knock him out in the second, third round. It depends on how conditioned Garcia and how ready he is to go here. I think even if in a loss, even if it's kind of a highlight reel knockout loss, which it possibly could be for her Huckbars here, Garcia will bounce back and uh, get a better fight for him, I think, in his next 
matchup in the UFC and probably have a little bit more success. It's just a tough spot to come in here against Akbaris. So I am going to pick Akbaris. I wouldn't bet him at minus 400 over, though. You just never know. I mean, like I said, the the past, I mean, the guys that have been able to take Akbaris down, control him on the ground a little bit, mix up decent striking, have had some success against him. I mean, and Garcia could possibly bring that to the table. I just think it's too big of a step up in competition. I think he doesn't get it done here. So I'm siding with Akbaris. I understand why people are betting him up a little bit as well. He shouldn't get it done here. Yeah, and I like what I've seen so far out of Garcia. Um, I mean, the guy seems like he's pretty talented being uh, the combate champ. He's racked up some wins against uh, several UFC veterans. You know, Humberto Berton, Bendene, Esteban Payan, uh, beat Bellator veteran like uh, LaRue Burley. So, you know, it's not like he's been facing complete chumps during his time in combate either. Um, you know, he's been a consistent, you know, headliner in uh, for them. Uh, and is their lightweight champion. So, you know, he's coming in with a pretty good track record. He's one of the top-rated uh, free agent lightweights out of Mexico. Um, but again, Hakparist is a tough draw for your first UFC fight. Uh, you know, this guy has a lot of power, very good technical striking ability, um, and I think, realistically, the only way you're going to beat him is by being a better striker than him. You know, that happened... Uh, with Drew Dober when uh, Dober was able to uh, clip him and, and finish him. Um, and while Held did outgrapple him, that was back in 2017. Um, you know, he's faced several pr- really good fighters since then with better wrestling than what Garcia possesses. And he's been able to stuff those takedowns and keep fights standing and either win by knockout or win by decision. So I think Garcia is going to hold his own and this will be competitive however long it lasts. But I would not be surprised to see uh, Garcia slow down and then Hakparist pick up a TKO along the way, maybe second round or third round as Garcia fades. So my pick is going to be Hakparist, but like Nick said, um, I'm excited to see Garcia in the UFC. Now dropping down to the Bantamweight division, we have Hani Yaya, who is 26-10-1, taking on Ray Rodriguez, who is 16-7. Now Nick... Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Yaya opened minus three three ten, excuse me, minus three ten for Yaya. The comeback on Rodriguez at plus two sixty, and right now Yaya is minus two ninety. The comeback on Rodriguez at plus two forty five. More love coming in Rodriguez's way. Look, I mean, this is a great spot for Rodriguez to come in here and pick off a, an older veteran like Yaya. That it's definitely on the decline of his career, but this guy has still showed decent performances and durability despite not being in the prime of his career. And he is one of the best grapplers that we've seen at 135 pounds in the sport, meaning that his submission game is no joke at all. He definitely is capable of finishing most opponents on the ground and he's got the toughness and the experience that he can weather the storm and get in his spots and outperform a lot of times when he think he's in a bad spot. So that said, the other side of it, Rodriguez is going to look to sprawl, brawl, keep this fight upright, and knock Yaya out. If any kryptonite in Yaya's game, it has been a, a little bit his striking defense, his chin. Um, he does start to slow down as the fight progresses as well. Rodriguez needs to come out firing. I mean, he needs to keep come out here, fight very intelligent, try to keep, obviously, Yaya from closing that gap and getting him on his back. But when he can, he needs to deliver punishment. And any takedown attempt that Yaya goes for, he needs to make him pay for it. So I think that's going to be the game plan for Rodriguez. He's going to look for that KO, obviously. Yaya's going to look to take this fight to the ground and submit Rodriguez. Rodriguez has been submitted in the past by grapplers not on the same level as Yaya. So this is going to be a, a nightmare 
type of situation for Rodriguez if Yaya is able to get this to the ground. I think he probably will. Um, if not, like I said, I w- wouldn't be surprised if Yaya actually gets knocked out. So for me, I'm going to pick Yaya to win because I think just what he's accomplished throughout his career stylistically, he should not lose to Rodriguez. But I can understand why people are backing Rodriguez here because there's no way you can lay three to one on Yaya at this point of his career. I mean, like I said, you got to respect Rodriguez's power on the other end of it. And I mean, I'm not sure what Yaya has left, despite him still performing at a decent level. I mean, we could see that drop off be sudden and and it could happen here in this fight or the fight after. So we'll see where he's at in his career right now. Um, a very difficult fight to bet, but I'm going to pick Yaya to win. Yeah, I am a little nervous with uh, Yaya having come off of two straight fights without being able to get the win. Now, granted, he was facing some really good fighters. You know, Ricky Simone and Enrique Barzolo are Barzola are no joke. So it's not a shame that he has a loss and a draw in his last two fights. And before that, he had some pretty quality wins over Luke Sanders, Russell Doan, um, Henry Briones. So, I mean, he is still um, going out there and grappling his butt off. Uh, those, All three of those wins were by submission. Um, now you look at Rodriguez, on the other hand, and this guy has been submitted um, in his last three losses, three of his last six fights. So uh, he is a guy that has a lot of power on the feet, but he also is extremely vulnerable defensively to grappling. Um, we saw him uh, get choked out by Chris Gutierrez, UFC veteran in LFA. Tony Gravely on his Contender Series fight, uh, while he didn't get submitted, he did get pounded out uh, on the ground from ground and pound. So again, that was a loss on the ground. And then in his UFC debut, uh, he stepped in and took on Brian Kelleher and got choked out in 39 seconds. So, you know, um, Hani Yaya has a much better ground game, more dangerous ground game than Yaya, or than Kelleher. So... If this fight goes to the floor, and I expect it to because Yaya, even though he's not the best wrestler, he is good at closing that distance and then just tying you up and dragging you to the floor. Kind of like you know what Damian Maya is able to do without having you know a power double or something. So he's just really good at that. That being said, you know, Rodriguez can knock you out. Uh, look at uh, Jimmy Flick. You know, that guy is a really dangerous uh, submission fighter that's currently in the UFC in the flyweight division and uh, Rodriguez knocked him out uh, back in uh, 2019. So it absolutely can happen. Um, That being said, Yaya's only been TKO'd, I think twice in his career and it hasn't happened in a really long time. Let me find it. Uh, The last time he lost by TKO was in the WEC in 2009. I mean, it's been 12 years, at least 11 years since his last time he got TKO'd. So I do not see Rodriguez getting a decision victory. So he either has to knock Yaya out or he's getting submitted. And I think it's just much more likely that he gets submitted here. So I'm picking Yaya by submission. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Charles Jourdain, who is 10-3-1, taking on Marcelo Rojo, who is 16-6. Now, Nick... What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Jordan opened minus 225, the comeback on Rojo at plus 190. Right now, looking over at Circus Sports, Jordan is minus 250, the comeback on Rojo at plus 215. 
another Combate Americas vet here in Rojo, a very exciting fighter to watch. If you guys have not checked out some of the footage on him, I, I would suggest doing so. This guy is just an exciting fighter, whether it's on their feet or on the ground. I mean, this guy goes for the finish, and he's capable of, of wrapping up a guillotine if you're looking to take him to the floor quick-like and, and just putting you out, or he's just got some bombs and power in his hands as well, and he goes for the kill. So he every one of his fights is a barn burner and it's exciting. And I mean, he's a good signing by the UFC as well. So hats off to Combate Americas for getting some of their fighters and letting them come in and compete in the UFC. Uh, because again, Garcia and Rojo definitely deserve to be here and they're going to put out some exciting performances. And Jordan, on the other hand, I think he's kind of earned the public respect from the MMA fans out there and some of the betters, obviously, with his performances. I mean, this guy is definitely a tough out, especially on the feet. I mean, he brings a high pace. He can be very effective with the striking, um, has faced high level competition and has done really well, despite coming off of, you know, I mean, a draw in his last spot, which was. Obviously a disappointing outcome for him. I mean, that was a fight that he was favored to win, but a very solid opponent. And then the fight with, that he lost by split decision against Feely. Feely, as we all know, is at the top of the food chain as well in this weight class. So not necessarily bad moments for him. I mean, he he's definitely a deserving player, I think, at featherweight as far as recognition and just fun fights. I mean, there's no doubt about what I just said about Rojo is the same situation for Jordan as well. Every one of his fights, I think, have been very exciting to watch. So this is going to be... Just fireworks, I think, from start to finish, and somebody's going to sleep in this spot. I don't see this lasting all three rounds because there's just too much offensive firepower both ways. I'm leaning a little bit more towards Jordan. I think he's a little bit more durable. I think he probably does get it done here. But that said, I don't think you can lay 250 on the other side of it uh, against Rojo, meaning that you can't lay the chalk on Jordan here because Rojo is just dangerous enough to take your money away, man. I mean, he lands one of those bombs, or if he does get an opportunistic submission on the ground or whatnot – um, you know, then the fight's going to be a wrap. So he's dangerous enough to keep me away from laying any chalk on Jordan in this spot. But I do think it's going to be an exciting fight and one that Jordan should win more times than not. And I'm going to go Jordan as well. I think this is pretty straightforward. I mean, Rojo is coming in as an undersized featherweight. Uh, normally he fights in the Bantamweight division and he is talented, but he's a brawler. And uh, Jordan is a brawler too. I mean, and Jordan has faced a, a higher competition level and had more success and has more experience in the UFC. So I think this fight will be, I mean, this is probably my pick for fight of the night. Honestly, I think both of these guys are going to bring it. They're going to slug it out for however long it lasts. But the more likely outcome here is Jordan winning by TKO. Um, Jordan just has a little bit more size, strength, and power, and uh, pushes a really good tempo. And we have seen uh, Rojo get finished uh, several times in his career. Actually, it's mostly been by submission, but uh, I just think Jordan hits hard enough. I mean, this guy has put the lights out of people that I think are tougher than Rojo, and I think Jordan is going to be able to get the finish here. So um, this is going to be extremely entertaining for however long it lasts but in the end of the day uh, I think Jordan gets the better of Rojo and probably finishes the fight so my pick is going to be Jordan now dropping down to the women's strawweight division we have Angela Hill who is 12 and 9 taking on Ashley Yoder who is 8 and 6 now Nick where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far 
Hill up at minus 360. The comeback on Yoder plus 295. And right now what we're seeing over Circa is minus 350 plus 290. So line stayed about the same. Solid opener, I think. Line kind of on the rise market-wide a little bit. Everybody's going to be on Hill's bandwagon and not respect Yoder as much in this spot. I think it's going to be very competitive. I think a lot of people believe that Hill's going to be able to outstrike. Her defensive has gotten better as far as her grappling game, her wrestling, everything. And she's going to be able to outstrike and control the that aspect of the fight here against Yoder. And it probably is the case. But again, at minus 360, 350 out there, it's crazy to lay it because this will be a competitive fight. Yoder continues to improve her stand-up game. She continues to get smarter, I think. And her fight IQ continues to grow in the cage, every fight that we see her, she's been in there with high level competition as well. And I think there is a very good chance if Yoder gets position on Hill on the ground or takes her back, she could finish this fight by submission. So just because Hill has shown some growth in her ground game doesn't mean that she's on the same level as a, a girl like Yoder on the ground. I mean, Yoder's still far ahead of her. And I think the gap on the feet is close enough where this is going to be a lot more competitive than everybody thinks. So at a toss-up type of fight, of course, I'm going to lean towards Hill. Um, and she should be a favorite in this fight. I mean, they fought before and, and Hill edged out a decision there as well. So, I mean, we kind of seen it play out, but I think both of these ladies have improved a lot since their first meeting. And I think the gap is a little bit closer than everybody anticipates here. So there's no way I would lay it. I think it's a dog or pass situation. I think some people might be surprised um, if Yoder does pull this off, but I wouldn't be that shocked. Honestly, I think it's going to be a very good back and forth type of fight. Hill does have the edge. I'm going to pick her to win this fight, but I would not go crazy betting Hill in this spot. Yeah. I mean, we've already broken this, this fight down previously when uh, they were expected to fight um, in a, a recent event. And my thoughts really haven't changed that much. Um, I think that they're competitively matched. Yoder has made some serious strides since her her UFC debut when she was a bit more of a grappler. Her striking has come a long way. But uh, Hill, while she's still not much of a grappler, she is better defensively in terms of preventing submissions. So, I mean, one of Yoder's biggest strengths has been neutralized already. And then on the feet... Hill can stand and trade with some of the best strikers in the division. So um, while Yoder is an improved striker, I just don't see her being, you know, in that elite level. So uh, unless you are one of the top strikers, um, you're probably not going to be able to defeat Angela Hill right now. So, um, you know, we've seen Hill get in there and go toe to toe with some of the best fighters in the division and be competitive with them, uh, you know, dropping like split decisions to some of the you know top five or so ranked fighters at uh, 115. So, um, well, again, while I do think this will be com- more competitive than people expect, um, I think it'll be a repeat of the, the original and Hill should take a decision here, if not a TKO. So Hill's going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Eric Anders, who is 13-5, taking on Darren Stewart, who is 12-6. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Stewart up in minus 196, the comeback on Anders at plus 162. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, Stewart minus 180, the comeback on Anders at plus 155. Another difficult spot at the betting window, man. I tell you what, Anders is just a tough out. We know what he brings to the table, man. Just solid guy. Always seems to be in split decision type of fights. I mean, this is probably going to be another one. I mean, he just, I think he does just enough to lose some of these close fights, which is disappointing because Anders, I thought when he first came into the middleweight division in the UFC, he could potentially make a title run. I, I think that we could see his growth as a fighter and, and just his athleticism and his ability overall. I, I think he's kind of, 
been a bit of a disappointment, if that makes sense. I mean, I don't think we've seen enough of that growth and enough of that improvement to, um, you know, to kind of back what original thoughts were early on, if that makes sense. Now, on the other side of it, Stewart has had kind of a roller coaster ride as well. But I do see some of the improvements that he's made in his game. I mean, I think stylistically, in most cases, the bad matchup for Stewart or guys like Fabinski, obviously taking him down, controlling him and, and just kind of ragdolling him and not giving him much room to work and, and use that explosive that Stewart has on the feet. I mean, he's very dangerous. He's getting better in all aspects of the game. I mean, he's getting more confident in his grappling offensively. He's going for more takedowns as well with his wrestling. So I think this is going to be a battle. I mean, back and forth and it'd be a pretty competitive fight. I like the explosiveness. I like the speed. I like the direction Stewart's going in his career. I understand he lost a very competitive fight his last time out to Kevin Holland. Um, but that being said, Kevin Holland's at an all-time high right now, and he's fighting at, at another level too. So that's not necessarily a bad loss for Stewart either. So I'm siding with Stewart in this spot. I'm just afraid that possibly along the way, Anders is going to fight pretty smart and, and get some takedowns or grind him against a cage or and make this a slower pace and more competitive fight than it seems. So I don't think, again, you can't really lay the chalk against Anders in this spot. you got to respect him because I think he can make it a very close, scrappy type of back and forth fight, but it's hard not to like what Stewart has to offer. I think he is the better mixed martial artist at this point, And I think he probably wins this fight more times than not, but it will be fairly competitive. And that's why you got to watch what price you get here in this fight. Yeah. I think this one's pretty straightforward. I mean, Anders is uh, an athletic specimen with a lot of power, but he's just a flawed fighter. I mean, we've seen it. The the failed move up to 205, I mean, that did not work out for him. It ended with him losing uh, several decisions, just getting outworked, um, getting finished a couple times. Um, and now that he's back at middleweight, while I do think that that's an improvement, um, we haven't seen much out of him yet to, that really impressed me. I mean, the Gerald Mearshart fight, I mean, he basically got out, outstruck or at least evenly striking with Mearshart, a guy that is just not that great of a striker. Um, and then, you know, coming off of a, a decision loss to Jaco, um, he just hasn't quite been able to put it all together. Uh, Stewart, on the other hand, while he has been up and down, um, this is a guy that goes out there and has competitive fights against good fighters. Um, and he has some quality wins. You know, he beat uh, Charles Bird, he beat Bevan Lewis, he beat Darren Wynn, um, and he lost split decisions to Edmund Shabazian and Kevin Holland. I mean, Stewart can stand and trade. Stewart has improving grappling. Um, you saw uh, him pull off a, a submission even two fights ago, and he does have some wrestling. So I think on the feet, this will be competitive because Anders, while he is athletic and powerful, um, the technique isn't as great as you would think it would be. And I think Stewart can hold his own in the stand-up. And then you factor in that Stewart can take this fight to the ground, potentially. Um, and I think Stewart can outlast Anders if Anders starts to slow down. Um, I have to favor uh, Stewart. Um, now, Anders absolutely has the potential to outpoint Stewart on the feet or knock him out. That could happen, 100%. But I think the most likely outcome here is Stewart uh, kind of slowing this fight down a little bit and uh, just taking Anders out of his element, frustrating him a little bit, maybe mixing in some takedown and clinch attempts and uh, winning a, a close decision. So Stewart is going to be my pick. Now, dropping down to the flyweight division, we have Mateus Nikolaou, who is 15-2-1 
taking on Manel Cop, who is 15 and 5. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? This fight opened exactly a pick, minus 115 either way. Cop minus 115, Nicolau minus 15. Right now over at Circus Sports, we are seeing Cop minus 120, even money. The line did go up to minus 150, now we're seeing it bet back down a little bit as well. So Nicolau is getting some respect from betters out there. Um, cop, not the case. I mean, it's it's one of those situations where a cop is going to get some action, obviously, and there is two-way action in this fight already, but more love as we get closer to fight time is coming in on Nicolau, and I understand why. A lot of people are still suspect, I think, in cop's ground game more so than anything else, and don't take anything away from Nicolau's striking. I mean, his, his striking is very capable as well. I mean, this guy has technique. He's getting better. And every aspect of the fight, he's only 28 years old, so he's entering the prime of his career. You can say the same thing about Cop as well on the other side of it. But I think Nikolau is viewed as the more complete fighter at this day and this wrestling with his submission ability. A lot of people think that that's where Cop is going to get in trouble in the spot, and possibly. I mean, if Cop can't keep this fight upright, Nikolau can possibly finish him on the ground. But I think his takedown defense and now working with AKA and getting some of that wrestling high level wrestling in is, is definitely made his game better. I mean, stepping in recently and, and taking a fight against, I mean, one of the top contenders and, and basically losing the fight against Pantoja. I understand that he was competitive and, and he deserved to lose that fight. Uh, but still in that spot, in that moment of time, I think he's going to learn from it and get better from it. So it wasn't necessarily a bad loss for him now turning around relatively quickly um, and filling in as a short notice replacement against Nikolau in another tough fight, I think it's only going to kind of be good for him because he's going to have momentum now, even despite coming off that loss, he's still going to be active and he's still going to be fighting and he's still going to be working and improving his game along the way. And I don't think he took a lot of damage in that fight. Um, so I think he's going to be recovered by now and obviously ready to go and eager to get that W back um, in his UFC career. So this is going to be fireworks. I think cop is the better striker. I think he's a little bit more durable and I think he's closed the gaps in his defensive grappling game that he's probably going to be able to keep this fight upright and do some damage on the feet, possibly knock Nikolai out. We've seen in the past him struggle with strikers and his defense kind of let him down. I mean, Dustin Ortiz, that head kick that he landed and knocked him out of there was a beautiful thing, really. I mean, some people might say it was fluke or whatnot, but still, I mean, we've seen Nikolai get hurt on the feet and cop, in my opinion, is definitely a devastating hard hitter and capable striker to possibly do the same. So I'm leaning towards cop. I understand the betting market is kind of leaning the other way right now as we talk, but I think there is probably some value on cop at the price. And if it goes back down to a pick them exactly, especially there, you have to probably it's a favorite or pass situation or a copper pass situation. If that makes sense in the spot, because I think he's going to really showcase his striking skills here and be very impressive along the way. So hopefully he keeps off his back because I'm going to pick him to win and I need him to do that. If he is going to pull off the W here, I think he's capable of doing so. So for me, I'm going to pick cop to win. And I think it's a copper pass situation at the betting window. And I'm going to agree again. Uh, now, Nikolau is an interesting case. I mean, this guy is a very talented grappler in the flyweight division. He had a pretty impressive run on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil Season 4. Um, then he comes over to the UFC, drops down, uh, picks up a huge win over John Moraga in the flyweight division, a former title challenger, then beats Luis Smoka, instant potential contender. But then he takes on Dustin Ortiz, gets knocked out in the first round, and gets cut, and just disappears off the face of the earth. It, that was about the time when the UFC was looking to downsize the flyweight division, 
And thankfully, the flyweight division has resurged, and he's back after picking up a couple wins outside the UFC. And he's back. But uh, unfortunately, he's taking on somebody that I think is a legit player in the flyweight division. Now, Nikolaus' ground game is no joke, and if he can get it there, he could have some success uh, against Cop. The problem is, uh, Cop is pretty good at keeping fights upright, and he has significantly better striking skills than Nikolaus. So, I think what's going to happen here is Nikolaus will uh, attempt to engage in the stand-up, trying to set up takedowns or ways to close the distance and force grappling exchanges and cop is going to get the better of all the stand-up exchanges. And eventually I think cop, uh, either TKOs Nicolau like Dustin Ortiz did. Cause I do think cop hits hard and probably harder than Ortiz and, or cop outpoints Nicolau over the course of three rounds to win a decision. So if Nicolau wins, it has to be with his grappling, but um, considering that Cop immediately was thrown into the fire against Alexander Pantoja in his UFC debut and had a competitive loss, I think that he racks up his first UFC win here over, again, another talented flyweight. Um, just bad luck here for Nikolao. I, I expect Nikolao to get another win down the line, probably his next fight, but I think Cop gets the better of him here. Now, moving up to the Bantamweight division, we have Jonathan Martinez, who is 13-3, taking on Davey Grant, who is 10-4. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Man, what another fantastic fight. I mean, looking at this fight card, seriously, from top to bottom, we're pretty spoiled, man. We've had a lot of great fights flying under the radar. This is another one. I mean, Martinez, the up-and-coming fighter, obviously against Grant, which is a proven veteran that's a very difficult out. And I think he's been under-respected throughout his UFC career. I mean, with the ability this guy brings and the wins that he's had and, and the performances that he's had throughout his career, I think the guy's a very tough out, especially a bantamweight right now for Martinez. I mean, he's definitely a capable striker. We've seen that time and time again, probably underrated on the feet. But where it's at with Grant is his wrestling and his ability on the ground. And, and t at times, that's where Martinez does struggle again. People want to take Martinez down because he's just an elite-level striker. At age 26, man, the future is bright for Martinez. We've known that from his UFC debut, and he's really hitting his stride right now. So hard not to pick Martinez in this fight because I think he is the better striker. I think it's just fun watching him on the feet, how he dissects some of his opponents, and he's got that nasty power as well. So I think it'll be a back-and-forth type of fight. I think Grant will be competitive on the feet, and he'll mix in some takedowns that's going to make this interesting and a tough bet. I mean, it's easy to look back and think, hey, Martinez, the way he's been performing lately, it's an easy fight for him. I mean, he's on the rise with Grant. Again, it's kind of a savvy vet and not expecting much from him, I think, in most people's minds. So this should be an easy win for Martinez. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I think it's going to be a very difficult fight. Unless Martinez goes out there and sparks him early, which is possible, I guess. But it's probably going to be a very tough, battle-tested type of fight for Martinez, which he needs. I mean, that's what's going to propel him to go to another level in his career. So this is a great matchup. I think Martinez does get the W. I think he is going to be more effective with the striking, but I think this is going to be a relatively close fight. So I would not lay the chalk minus 300-ish on Martinez here. I don't care if he goes out there, like I said, and he sparks him right away. I think we're underestimating Grant somewhat, so you cannot lay a high price here. There's no value left in it. There's no doubt about that in my mind. So should be a fun fight. I think Martinez wins this fight, but at the betting window, you got to be cautious out there again, because I think it's at where it's priced right now. It's probably a dog or pass situation, which is kind of insane to say, I know, but 
I really do respect Grant. And I think it's going to be a, a tougher test than people think for Martinez. And I agree that Grant has shown some uh, new wrinkles to his game. Um, now, he, he normally has some sneaky good grappling and is able to slug it out with people. But uh, more recently, you know, against Martin Day, a pretty talented fighter in his own right, Grant was able to pick up uh, a third-round knockout, which was really, really impressive. Did not expect that. He really had not shown a lot of power on the feet. I think that might have been one of his only stoppages uh, due to strikes in his entire professional career. So uh, not bad for uh, the old dog at 35 years old. Um, Now, taking on Martinez, though, um, like Nick said, you know, he's the younger fighter, more athletic, just a little bit better in all areas. Um, Grant could catch him with a submission or uh, a knockout, but I think the most likely outcome here is Martinez forces a technical striking exchange on the feet and Martinez can pick people apart. I mean, you saw that against Frankie Sainz, and then most recently uh, against Thomas Almeida, um, he was able to mix up the striking and grappling, and he looked great. So, you know, this is definitely a kid on the rise in the Bantamweight division. I think uh, somebody to really keep an eye on um, that could be uh, getting ranked pretty shortly, and uh, Martinez is uh, definitely the the likely winner here. But uh, Grant does have a few outs, and Martinez has, uh, for some reason or another, come up short in the past against guys like uh, Sukumtot and Ewell. Um, so it is possible for Martinez to you know kind of have that low activity rate that could cost him. But uh, so if Grant wins and it's not by stoppage, he might just have to go pedal to the metal and just try to outwork. Martinez. But I think the most likely outcome here, again, is Martinez by decision or a late stoppage, kind of like what he had against Frankie Sines. So my pick is going to be Martinez. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Dan Ige, who is 14 and 14-3, taking on Gavin Tucker, who is 13-1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Ige open minus 145, Tucker plus 125. And right now looking over Circus Sports, minus 150 for Ige to come back on Tucker at plus 130. This line's kind of floated around up and down a little bit. More love came in on Tucker early on. Now we're seeing more love come in on Ige. So this is going to be fireworks, another great fight on this card. Two-way action at the sports books. A lot of sharp action on both of these fighters. But more public action overall is coming in on Tucker as well. I think he's the popular trendy dog on this card. Uh, which is kind of crazy, I think, to say in most people's minds, but it's true. I mean, his performances as of late, since he lost to Rick Glenn back in 2017, he's been phenomenal. I mean, he's had two out of three finishes over solid competition, very dangerous opponents somewhat, and he's looked great, I think. So his stock's at an all-time high right now, and people realize this guy's good on the feet. I mean, he's got speed. He's got effective striking. He mixes up his wrestling really well. He's got good, uh, obviously, submissions to go along with it. So he's a very complete fighter. And that loss to Glenn was still kind of a head-scratcher in most people's minds. So he bounced back, and he's looking great right now. I think he's focused. His fight IQ seems to be decent as well. So there's a lot to like about Tucker, and I understand why he's, again, kind of a popular underdog bet here. But the other side of it, I think Ige's getting a little bit of a disrespect factor here with the line. He's faced by far better competition. I know he's coming off that loss to Cater, but, you know, controversial 
decision win over Barboza in most people's minds as well. But if you look at the level of competition he's faced as of late, it's been high level. This is actually a step down for him. I think the same stuff that I just said about Tucker, as far as the striking ability, the wrestling ability, the submission ability, Ige has all of that as well. I think he's actually going to be a little bit more effective on the streak on the feet. I think he could be a little bit more effective on the ground as well. So in this spot, I actually have the line a little bit higher where the market is right now. And I think Ige is getting a little bit disrespected at the betting window. So for me, it's an Ige or pass situation. I mean, it's not big chalk delay right now, but if I was going to bet this fight, I would actually lay the price at minus 150 on Ige. I think that's probably the way you go. Again, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised how effective Ige is in this spot. I think confidence-wise, he's at an all-time high as well. Despite coming off of a loss, I understand that's not what you like to see. But at the same time, he's faced better competition. He knows he's capable of winning this fight. And obviously, I think he goes out there and does it. I mean, again, I think it's just going to be a difficult matchup, especially as it goes for Tucker. He might have success in round one. Well, he's going to have success every round. So I take that back a little bit. Of course, it's going to be a competitive fight. I think Tucker will hold his own and have plenty of moments throughout. But I think he'll have probably more success in round one. And it's a spot where in round two, round three, Ige starts to pull away a little bit and makes it a little bit more clear. So I like Ige. I think he wins this fight. I just think he's a little bit better and a level above Tucker right now. Yeah, my main concern uh, at least to disagree with Nick a little bit, is perhaps a lack of confidence for Ige. Because I agree that Ige is the more talented fighter here. I think he is at least as good of a striker as Tucker. I think his wrestling is better than Tucker's, and I think he can push a pace uh, for 15 minutes better than Tucker. Um, the main issue, though, is he is coming off of a very one-sided loss to Calvin Cater. I mean, that was a bit of a reckoning for him because you know he was on a huge win streak, six in a row, although things had been getting more difficult for him, getting split decisions over Mirsad Bektik and Edson Barboza fights, especially the Barboza fight, you could argue he lost. Um, and then he gets that main event against Cater, something he'd really been pushing for, perhaps to get a, a title shot with the win. And then he just got annihilated. I mean, he could not get his striking going. He could not get his wrestling going. Cater was just touching him up. Um, the only thing that he, I think, could really give him a lot of confidence from that performance was that his chin held up over uh, five rounds. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, it's back to the drawing board. Um, now, Gavin Tucker is very similar, in my opinion, to Dan Ige. I think uh, both of these guys have strong wrestling with uh, pretty good striking, not amazing striking. Um, Tucker actually really impressed me in his last fight against Quarantillo. I did not expect him to go out there and take care of business like that. I mean, he beat Quarantillo in every facet of the game. I mean, that was a lot more one-sided than I was expecting. I actually thought Quarantillo was supposed to win that fight. So um, maybe I'm underestimating Tucker again here because Ige has been in there against some of the best fighters in the world at 145 pounds and held his own. But uh, if Ige is bounces back strong and he's at that same level that was headlining UFC fight fight nights, I don't think Tucker's ready for that. So I think Ige is going to be throwing the, the harder shots. I think Ige is going to have the superior wrestling and cardio. And I think that Ige ekes this out. I think it'll be competitive, but Ige should get the better of him over the course of three rounds. So Ige is going to be my pick. Now, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we have Misha Serkunov, who is 15-5, taking on Ryan Spann, who is 18-6. 
Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Sir Kunoff minus 125, Span plus 05. And right now we're seeing at Circus Sports, Sir Kunoff minus 130, plus 110 on Span. So two action did come in on this fight back and forth a little bit. For me personally, I can't touch this fight. I think it's a dog or pass situation either way if you're getting plus money because these guys defensively are so flawed. I mean, offensively, they can deliver, man. I mean, we've seen that back and forth. Sir Kunoff, I think, has technical striking. Probably a little bit underrated offensively on the feet, but it's obviously his grappling and his ground game that is very effective and gets it done more times than not. But the other side of that, man, I mean, he's a bit chinny. He starts to slow down in fights as well, and we've seen his ground defense not be up to par either. So that's a problem against a guy like Span. I mean, Span is big, strong. He's capable of doing some damage we've seen on the feet offensively. I mean, his chin you can't trust, though, either on the other side of it. And you can say a lot of the same. I think his takedown defense and his ground defense has improved to the point where it might not be as easy for Sukunov, but still it's going to be one of those cases that whoever gets top position, whoever kind of hangs in there and wants it more is going to probably win this fight because both of these guys are capable of finishing each other offensively, whether it's on the feet or the ground, I think, to be honest with you. So this is going to be interesting, and that's why I don't think you can lay chalk in this fight despite Sukunov coming in and getting a much-needed win over Crute. Despite Span, I think having a lot of hype in overall, you know, has looked pretty decent in his UFC career. I mean, he's coming off of that brutal loss to Walker in his last fight, but I don't think a lot of people are going to follow him for that Johnny Walker loss. But defensively, it's just a mess. So no thanks. I don't want anything to do with this fight, to be honest with you. I think it will be fun, like I said, watching and, and seeing how this one plays out. But at the betting window, so difficult because you're going to have to rely on these guys defensively, whichever side, either side you bet. And that's definitely a concern and a risk here. So I think you got to chase the plus money if you're going to bet this. If not, stay away from it completely. So my official pick, not a confident one, will be Span. I guess I'll go against the grain and I'll go against the favorite. Like I said, it's a probably a dog or pass situation. Not a confident one, but I guess I'll lean a little bit more towards Span. And for once, we disagree on this card. So I'm going to go with Sirkunov. Both of these fighters have major flaws. Uh, Sirkunov is n- not very durable. Uh, we've seen him when he loses, it is not pretty. I mean, he get got finished by Ozdemir on the feet in 28 seconds. Then Glover Teixeira pounded him from top position in the first round. And then when he took on Johnny Walker, flying knee in 36 seconds. So when he loses, it can be fast um, and it can get ugly. But when he wins, I mean, he looks amazing. His submission game, his ground game is tremendous. Um, we've seen him get solid, uh, top position chokes, uh, against Ian Kutalaba. We saw him choke out, uh, Nikita Krylov. We saw him choke out Patrick Cummins. And then most recently, and I think this is one of the better wins of his career, perhaps other than maybe Krylov, he was able to get a Peruvian necktie against Jimmy Crute, a guy that was a 10 and 0. So a real quality win there. Um, So what he needs to do here is not screw around on the feet, get this fight to the floor as quickly as possible, and go to work. Because Ryan Spann has a lot of power. I mean, this guy, if he hits you right, I mean, you are going out. And uh, he also, though, does have, uh, you know, some durability issues in his own. Um, You know, Spann can get a little sloppy, and if Spann gets hit hard, he goes down. Um, We saw that in his last fight. You know, he was in control, looking great against Johnny Walker. He had him in all sorts of hurt. And then 
He shoots in for a takedown out of nowhere, so this is also a fight IQ issue. And Walker just drops those Travis Brown elbows against the side of his head and pounded him out. So uh, I think Serkunov, if he can get this fight to the floor, while he may not get a submission, because Span is actually a pretty savvy grappler, um, I mean, he can TKO him from top position. Serkunov does have some ground and pound victories, and I don't know if Span is going to be able to handle uh, the punishment. But you also have to remember that before Span lost that fight to Walker, and it was a fight that he was actually looking great in, he was on a pretty impressive eight-fight winning streak that included um, four straight uh, victories to begin his UFC career. So... You know, this is a guy that has has some talent, and if he connects with anything on the feet against Serkunov, I mean, he could end this fight in an instant. So, um, both of these guys have their flaws, and I'm going to go with Serkunov, but I would not be shocked one bit if Span knocks him out. So, my pick is Serkunov, but be careful out there. Now, this brings us to the main event. Of the evening in the welterweight division, we have Leon Edwards, who is 18 and 3, taking on Bilal Muhammad, who is also 18 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Edwards minus 260, Muhammad plus 200, and right now over at Circus Sports minus 265 for Edwards to come back on Muhammad at plus 225. Tough one again at the betting window where it's priced. Leon Edwards being out for a couple of years, I mean, having a little bit of a COVID stint, he looks great. He looks like he's hungry. He looks like he's ready to get back in there and prove that he belongs and prove that he gets the next title shot at 170. Muhammad, on the other hand, man, he's fighting at a very high level. I mean, it was impressive. I don't think people realize how good Diego Lima is. I mean, I think sometimes Lima gets disrespected because he's been chinny at times and he, you know, he's had those letdown performances, but offensively and, and getting in there with the, with his skill set is not easy to do. And, the victory Muhammad had and made it look easy in most cases. I understand he took some damage, especially with that low kick or whatnot, but I still think that was a very impressive performance. I didn't think it was going to be that one side of a fight. I thought Lima would probably hang in there until he kind of didn't type of situation. Right. But credit to Muhammad. I mean, he looked great. I think that was one of his best performances of his career. He's coming off of a, a tough fight before that with good and he performed well there too. So he's got a lot of positive momentum against very good competition coming into this fight. And he's going to be able to hang and compete with Edwards, I think, for a while, at least in this fight, till it starts becoming a little bit more clear. I think Edwards, I mean, both these guys are cardio machines, so I don't think that they're going to start to slow down. I mean, we say that time and time again in fights and how important cardio conditioning is. Well, these two, especially welterweight, I have a very hard time thinking that they're going to slow down based on their past performances. I mean, Edwards has a gas tank, gas tank on him. We know he's been five rounds before Muhammad is more than capable of going there. Um, so these guys won't slow down as bad as we think. They're going to take some damage back and forth, though. But I think it's Edwards that's a little bit more of the better st uh, striker, sniper type of fighter. He's going to land the more damaging blows along the way. I think his durability is a little bit better as well. I think he probably he's a bigger fighter, probably has a wrestling edge. I mean, both these guys usually stuff takedowns and keep the fight upright because their opponents want to take them down um, in most cases. I mean, we do see them mix in wrestling, of course, offensively as well, which is a great fight IQ. I mean, if you're winning the stand-up exchanges and want to solidify a round by getting a quick takedown and doing some control and kind of 
you know, picking your spots with the takedown game. I think both these guys are capable of doing that, but they should kind of neutralize each other out because I think both of them have decent takedown defense. But if anything, I still think Edwards has a little bit of the wrestling advantage. So I think he's the better striker in this spot. I think he does have the better wrestling in this spot as well. It's not going to be an easy fight. I think Muhammad is going to have his moments and he'll probably be more competitive on the feet than most are anticipating. But it's going to be clear to me, I think, along the way that Edwards lands the harder shots, is the better sniper of the two and is more effective with the striking and possibly controlling the fight as it goes as well. So five rounds, a long time to go. I think something probably gives before they hit the scorecards, but at the same time, I want to be relatively shocked if it does hit the cards and we see a competitive, probably three to two, even maybe a four to one type of decision went for Edwards, but a competitive four to one, if that makes sense as well. But I do think he's a better fighter and it should show here. And just hopefully it's a great main event because it has potential to be so. And we want to see Edwards, back to form and perform at a high level because he deserves to get that welterweight title shot and contention in the talks and all that. He needs to get back in the mix for sure because he's such a good fighter, as we all know. So my pick is Edwards. I think he does get it done over a very game and respectable opponent in Muhammad. And I'm going to go with Edwards as well. I mean, it's been um, about 18 months since we've seen Edwards in the cage, and I'm excited because this is a guy that has – uh, the complete package. I mean, he's a good striker. He's a good grappler. His wrestling has really improved. He's on a huge win streak over quality opponents. Um, and this is his time. Now, uh, Bilal Muhammad has made some tremendous strides in his UFC career. I mean, I am very proud uh, of what he's been able to accomplish recently. And he's coming off of a huge performance against Diego Lima. Now, granted, you know, Lima's not the greatest fighter in the welterweight division, but, I mean, Muhammad just steamrolled him. I mean, that was a complete performance. He picked him apart on the feet. He just outworked him. Lima could not keep up with him in terms of uh, trading on the feet. And then he mixed in takedown attempts, eventually, finally, just wearing him down. And if he's going to beat Leon Edwards, it kind of needs to be that death by a thousand cuts type of thing where you just wear somebody down because Leon Edwards, in my opinion, is a little bit better than Muhammad just about everywhere. He's got more power. I think he's more durable. I think he's the better wrestler. I think he's quicker. I think he's more athletic, but Muhammad has the heart. Muhammad has that pace. And if there's any real advantage, Muhammad might be better conditioned here because, you know, this guy has consistently been able to go the distance throughout his career, pushing uh, a high, high pace. So if there is a path to victory here for below Muhammad, maybe he drops a, an early round or two, maybe even gets hurt. And Leon Edwards tries to get the finish and can't get it and tires himself out a little bit. And then Muhammad just kind of takes over as this fight wears on. But uh, if Edwards remains composed, I think that he finds his openings to, to land a couple good shots and hurt Muhammad along the way, maybe get a TKO. But uh, other than that, I think he can still outpoint Muhammad just by being a little bit better technically and using some of that speed and maybe even mixing in takedowns because uh, you know Muhammad, while he is a pretty good offensive wrestler, um, we haven't seen him off of his back that much. And I think Edwards does have the improved wrestling in his game to take uh, Muhammad down. I mean, we've seen Edwards utilize his wrestling 
against some really good fighters. And uh, I think that he could do it here. So uh, my pick is going to be Leon Edwards, but I am a little nervous about the first fight back after a long time. And I'm a little nervous about uh, if Edwards starts to slow down. So uh, my pick is Edwards, but uh, be careful, especially if he is a, a pretty heavy favorite. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 21. If we have any free plays to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBPremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. You can also find our bets in the free bets tab on MMAOddsBreaker.com. Just check out our front page. There's a little thing that says free bets along the top tab. Click it and it'll take you right to it. We also even have some NASCAR plays if you're into that. Remember, check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.